Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's topic, we are actually on part three of our series, uh, The Black Royalty and uh, Rulers. So uh, with this particular series, we have been using as the uh, main source a book by Dr. John L. Johnson called The Negro Rulers of Scotland and the British Isles. So I want to give a shout out to uh, sis with the screen name, uh, Brooklyn Bourgeois. Um, thanks so much, sis, for uh, recommending this body of work. It is absolutely excellent. You are much, much appreciated. Anyone else trying to reach me for content, etc., you can reach me. Uh, a couple of ways you can either reach me on Instagram, I am uh, Facebook, I am under Truth Uncompromised, or uh, you can hit me up on the Truth Uncompromised email, truthuncompromised at gmail.com. Right? So thank you all so much uh, for your contribution to the content. Okay, so let's get started. So uh, we left off in series number two, going through, uh, picking back up on the lineage of the first rulers in Europe, specifically England and Scotland. Okay, so the second one out the gate was uh, Kenneth McAlpine the Niger. Well, let's let's back up. Just to, to make sure, uh, just to give folks a high level, and if you are not familiar with what we are speaking on, you can um, certainly go back to part one, and I will drop a spot in this podcast for you to uh, pick up on the first episode, okay? So just a real high level, the author, Dr. John L. Johnson, goes into where this particular uh, bloodline comes from, from Scotland and England, and uh, he takes it all the way back to that bloodline coming through an African lineage, okay? All right, uh, so then he goes into the first Scotland dynasty, which was the Alpine dynasty, and I always want to say Alpine, so Forgive me in advance <laughs> if you hear me say that. I really mean Alpine. Okay, so Kenneth McAlpine was called the Niger Valdub. We know that dub meant black. Okay. All right, so uh, now we're going to move up to, they talked about the House of Alpine. And this was in our part two and how uh, the House of Alpin, the House of Alpin uh, sanctioned or approved these other houses. Many that we know today, uh, House of Bruce and the House of Stewart, which everybody's pretty much familiar with, and how the change from the Saxe-Coburg Gotha dynasty 
change to the Windsor. Okay, so you can get more details on that in our part two in the series. Okay, and then we went over um, Kenneth McAlpin, the first ruler, of, uh, and I apologize, I think I said the second, of uh, the Scotland and British Isles. Okay, so now we're on to Donald, who was the second. Okay, so we'll just go through this real quick because the next couple of ones we are going to go through, uh, it's going to be short synopsis of these folks. I am assuming it was because of short rulership and the wars that took place, etc., etc. So the next one in line is Donald. Okay, Donald the first. So again, I want you all to pay attention to not only the surnames, but I also want you to pay attention to the first names as well. So you have a lot of melanated folks carrying these first names and surnames and, and folks are thinking in the Americas they come from slavery, and that is not the case. The origins of the name trace back to black European rulers, and these names were passed down via families from black European lineage, okay? Now, I'm not saying that everybody with the name Donald comes from Donald I. That is not what I'm saying. I am giving you the origins of these names. So, Because right now, the populace has the belief that melanated people carrying European surnames, first and last names, it came from slave masters. And that's not the case. This is why it is important for you to do your genealogy because if you do your genealogy, you will see these same European names carried throughout your family gen uh, lineage for centuries. You will see a pattern of how your ancestors named future generations after previous ancestors. And this was on both women and on, of course, men. You know, men usually, when they have a son, give them their name. Now it's junior or whatever. Back up in the day, it was such and so the first. Okay? But the same concept. Okay? So that is even people that are carrying... American Indian heritage, you got those European names through the marrying in of the bloodline. So meaning black Europeans marrying into indigenous American culture. Okay? And in most cases, not in most cases, I'm going to say all cases, what we see today is that same indigenous culture blended into the point 
where more of the European concepts and culture move forward and the indigenous Indian side is not so much recognizable, okay? But again, that is each and every person's responsibility. You do your own genealogy, and when you start tracing back these things, you'll understand where names came from. You'll understand how religion, even the religion that is um, embedded in your family, you will get the connection. You'll also start to understand a lot of the customs that are still held today, meaning some of the customs are uh, European customs and some of the customs are indigenous American customs. All right. So with that said, let's see what uh, Dr. John L. Johnson says from the Negro rulers of Scotland and the British Isles. The Christian converted Negro pits King Donald I the youngest brother and successor of Kenneth McAlpin inherited the throne in AD 858. The king was a kind, charitable, and peaceful person who promised his adversaries a state of territorial peace by establishing an ancient corpus of laws and rights called the laws of, I've been saying Edith, but it's probably Edith. It was not long afterwards that he was taken out or possibly taken out. I have to do this because of censorship. In the Battle of Scone, he died in A.D. 853, leaving no heirs and was succeeded by his nephew, Constantine I. Donald I is the 33rd grand uncle of Elizabeth II. Okay. All right. So I just wanted to real quick jump over like we did before to um, other sources. So I'm going to bring in um, Britannica and it's pretty consistent. Donald the first of only difference is let me flip back. Okay. We see a pencil drawing of Donald the first and he's clearly melanated, a.k.a. black, all right? So let's flip over to uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, and they don't have a picture. Uh, Donald I uh, died 862, King of Alba, the United Kingdom of the Pitts and Scots, 858 through 862, and brother and successor, successor of Kenneth I, McAlpin, Donald established an ancient, ancient corpus of laws and rights. Okay, so hopefully you all are also seeing the theme where government, laws, all of that jazz, how far back this stuff goes. Known as the laws of Ed or Edda, that apparently included the customs of tanistry. According to this custom, the successor of a king was elected during his lifetime from the eldest and worthiness 
uh, yeah, a worthiest of his kin, often a collateral brother or cousin in preference to a descendant son. The next king, Donald's brother, Constantine I, succeeded in accordance with this custom. Okay, so let's just go just real quick on Tanistry. All right, so because I, I don't like to skip over words without that we're not familiar with, just so the family could get a full understanding. So tanistry is a custom among various Celtic tribes, notably in Scotland and Ireland, by which the king or chief of the clan was elected by family heads in full assembly. He held office for life and was required by customs to be of full age in possession of all his faculties and without any remarkable blemish of mind or body. At the same time, and subject to the same conditions, a Tannis or next heir to the Chief Nancy was elected, who, if the king died or became disqualified, at once became king. Sometimes the king's son became Tannis, but not because the system of primogeniture was in any way recognized. Indeed, the only principle adopted was that the dignity of the chieftainship should descend to the eldest and most worthy of the same blood who well could be a brother, nephew, or cousin. This system of succession left the headship open to the ambitious and was frequent and was a frequent source of strife both within family and between clans. Tanistry in Scotland was formally abolished in the early 17th century during the reign of King James IV of Scotland, James I of England, and the English system of primogeniture was substituted. Okay, so um, just to be clear, I wanted us to go over this, and I'm glad I did go over this to get a better understanding of uh, what tanistry means and what strikes out to me pretty heavily is that back up in the day, um, they were still going on tribes as well, okay? Because remember, we're talking this bloodline coming into these different territories uh, marrying into the indigenous people of that territory's uh, bloodlines and ruling, okay? So in other words, coming into those territories, either agreements were struck, deals were cut, and or bo- both, or through war, they were marrying into the indigenous uh, population of that area that they are not, indigenous from they're marrying into it Uh, but I just found it interesting that you know back then they were saying Celtic tribes ETC okay so let's see what um, primal genitrure is about Um, so primal genitrure preference an inheritance that is given by law, custom, or uses to the eldest son. Okay, so this goes against 
most indigenous cultures that have a matriarch. Okay, but we'll continue. Because what usually happens during this, uh, during war and conquering, uh, when you have deals being struck, you have the, uh, the bloodline from the uh, winner of that war or the conqueror marrying into the indigenous population's bloodline. And that's how that kingdom is formed. And usually when it's when I speak of the Marian Inn, it is usually the conquering man's bloodline marrying into the uh, indigenous people of the land that they have conquered. So marrying the women. Okay. And so once something that was a matriarch rule turns into a uh, patriarch rule, right? And you could see this consistently across various indigenous cultures around the world. All right. So this uh, primal genitor is a preference and inheritance that is given by law, custom, or usage to the eldest son and his issue or to the youngest son. In exceptional cases, primogenitor may prescribe such preferential inheritance to the line of the eldest daughter. Okay, so in exceptional cases, and we saw this in the case of um, Henry VIII. The motivation for such a practice has usually been kept, has usually been to keep the estate of the deceased or some part of it whole and intact. Strict primogenitor and ultimogenitor are rare and uninformed in which the eldest or youngest son assumes the responsibility of trusteeship of the estate. This is why it's important for folks to really, really take the time, take the effort to study what a trust is, how to operate within a trust, because these people have been doing this for a very, very extremely long time. You would set something up in a trust to protect assets and also have the said assets there for future generations. So meaning no one can come and own those assets only benefit from those assets, okay? So the trustee would just be managing the assets or controlling the assets, okay? You will see all billionaires do this even down to this day, but make no mistake about it, they got it. 
from these particular royal bloodlines, royal European bloodlines. This is exactly why when Trump card was running for office, they were screaming for him, show your taxes, show your taxes, show your taxes. He laughed in their face. And he kept telling you, he kept saying, trust, trust this, trust, 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 trust that. Holding company this, holding company that, trust, 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 trust. He even held a press conference and brought out all these stacks of folders and said that his uh, son and daughter were running that stuff and he never had to show his taxes for the slow ones in the back because he owned nothing. He owned nothing. And I'm pretty sure when he held that press conference, he was turning over the trusteeship of said assets, said holding companies, said businesses to his son and daughter or sons, because I think he has two sons, sons and daughters. So I only bring that up, not because I'm a Trump card supporter, I could care less, because people still miss the big picture. They don't understand that this stuff has been going on for centuries. Okay? So this is the same concept. Form in which the old, of which the eldest or youngest son assumes the responsibility of trusteeship of the estate and of adjudicating attended disputes has been more common. The practices are most commonly used by agricultural people, especially those with increasing populations, but limited amounts of land. In such cases, it is often important to... Child, let me sip this water. I didn't know y'all was fencing to go up into these definitions, but I guess it was needed to go up into... The practice are most commonly used by agricultural peoples, especially those with increasing populations, but limited amounts of land. In such cases, it is often important to prevent the partitioning of land into parcels that are too small to support farming, in some cases, the designation of a sole heir has generated traditional uh, territorial sorry, expansion by forcing the unwilled sons to fend for themselves a situation that has ob- obtained at various times among Europeans and the Maori and other Polynesian people. I'm going to read this paragraph and then we're going to stop and talk about this. In Europe, laws forbidding the partitioning of land and decreeing its 
devolution upon the youngest or eldest son serves at, at, served as a means of preserving not only the size of the property so affected, but also the power and prestige of the aristocrat, which traditionally rested on landowners. So for the slow ones in the back, where does the prestige and power come from? Land ownership. Thus the practice sometimes governs succession to power in office rather than to tangible possessions. So let's just let me break this down. They're literally telling you And it's no different today. It's no different today. That they set up trust. They hold their assets in trust. So that it can be protected. And not only protected. Can't nobody come through and sell it off. Chop it up or sell it off. Now I'm speaking to the melanated people specifically. Specifically melanated people from the South whose family them had millions and millions of acres. Yeah, let's get into it. Now I didn't intend to get into it, but hey, it is what it is. The information moves how it moves. You know the millions of acres that have been into the family's lineage for centuries. Now, a lot of it was definitely legislated out from colonization. Don't even get me started. Absolutely it was, and that's a separate subject. But the parts that weren't, you know, the when Papa, Big Mama and them transition on, and if they didn't set something like this up, what usually happens, you have degeneracy in the family that want that cash money and they will sell the land off. Yeah, that part. That's the part folks don't want to talk about. Okay? Because at the end of the day, I keep telling you, the real wealth are the people themselves And the land and the resources. Okay? The false wealth is the currency. The colonizers keep showing you this. But the commoner still isn't getting it. Okay? So um, I'm not going to go over that anymore. Um, I'm glad I I did take the time for that because, whoo, child, that's how they roll, okay? And that's how they continue to roll. 
All right, so that's Donald. All right, so we're going to go into uh, Scott's clans. All right, to see what they have on Donald. Sorry. Donald, a.k.a. Domino. Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Another derivative of Donald. Domino McAlpin followed his brother Ken Kenneth McAlpin to the throne. Although Kenneth had left sons, tradition then did not dictate that they should follow their father to the throne. Donald was born in 813 as the king of the pits. And Gales, uh, Donald had hard footsteps to follow. Kenneth had been a mighty powerful power and left quite a large kingdom to defend. Donald was described as a wantan, a bit of a playboy prince, slightly carefree. He was also described as being the son of a foreign wife, implying that his father, Alpine, took a second wife. Some historians have speculated that this may have been to a Viking bride. Mm-hmm, child. Let's continue. His brother's victories and the growth of the kingdom were consolidated in Donald's reign. It was his role to suppress any further challenge to the House of Alpine from the Pittish nobility for the Pittish crown. He also oversaw the introduction of a set of laws known as the Laws of Ed. Okay, and that's why I like doing different sources, fam, on the same thing, because you get a little bit more insight. These included the Laws of Tanistry. Now we get that under which the successor of a king was elected during his lifetime from members of his family, often a brother or cousin rather than a son. The aim was to ensure that in an age when very few men died old, the succession would pass on to someone old enough and able enough to handle it, which was smart. I mean, it, it is what it is. The Chronicle of the Kings of Alba says that Donald I reigned for four years, Donald was taken out in the battle in 863. Some say it was the Battle of Scone of Scone on April 13th. The Chronicle of Melrose recorded that he was assassinated at Scone, but there is no other evidence to suggest foul play. Okay, um, so that's that. They're just giving a source. Okay, all right, so that's Donald the first. All right, fam, so let's jump to Malcolm. Okay, so again, just want to point out, want y'all to pay attention to these first names. So you melanated Malcolms out there. So this is Malcolm the first. The Christian Moorish converted Negro Pitts Pittish, King Malcolm I, the son of Donald II, succeeded his cousin Constantine II in AD 943. His two sons were Kenneth Dub and Kenneth II, 
who also ruled Scotland. So let's stop right here. So when I was talking about folks um, renaming their children after their ancestors, this is a prime example. Okay. So here you have Donald II. I'm sorry. You have Malcolm, um, the son of Donald II. Okay, so, you know, we skipped over Donald II's rule. Um, sure, it was short-lived, nothing, um, you know, earth-shattering per se. And then he was the cousin of Constantine the second. Okay, so there was, meaning there was a Constantine the first who also rules Scotland. Okay, so the point being, he named his sons after his rel- the the actually the ancestor who really started the power structure or throne in Scotland and uh Brit British or the Brits Kenneth Dub. Okay? And you will consistently see this. That's why I know I have to, I get confused when I be talking about these doggone bloodlines. I'm like, oh, what now which one? Oh, okay, that one. <laughs> the Marys and even on the men and the women's side. All right. So there were constant wars in his reign as was from the days of his ancestors, Kenneth McAlpin, Niger, Valdub. Malcolm was slain during a rebellion in AD 954 and was succeeded by his blood cousin, Endolf, the son of Constantine II. So y'all, now y'all should know why they keep it in the family. We should know that now, why they keep it in the family and why they put the, um, the term together. And I'm glad we went on and went over that child. I didn't forget it already. Shoot, what's the name of that term? <laughs> uh, we just went over the term. Child. Tan- tanistry. Now y'all should under- know, understand why they put the law of uh, tanistry in place. Actually, Donald did that. Donald the first did that. Because all of this warring going on, the rulers keep getting taken out. So they wanted to make sure that the bloodline, that this rulership stayed in the bloodline. Because remember, not only is this about rulership, but these are about assets. Assets to the land that they done set up and conquered. Yeah, remember that? We talked about them trust and how they set up them trust to keep them assets in the estate for future generations, forever, forever, ever, 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 forever, ever, forever, ever. Yeah, that part. So it was smart on their part, on actually Donald the first part, to put the law of tanistry in place to make sure that no matter what happens, that particular bloodline would carry on through rulership and control of those assets. 
So meaning even if they come and take out father and son, that's okay to jump to a cousin. And let's say they, you know, went and took out all the men. That's okay to jump to the women. Okay. All right. So in this case, uh, Malcolm I was succeeded by his blood cousin, Endolf, the son of Constantine II. Like his predecessors, Malcolm's Negro Moorish blood flows through the veins of today's British royal family. So remember when we talk about this word Moorish, absolutely it means black, but it also has the meaning of from where? Northwest African. People of mixed Berber and Arab descent. So Malcolm's Negro Moorish blood flowed through the veins of today's British royal family. He was the 13th great great grandfather of Elizabeth II. So let's see on our uh, Scott uh, Scotland thingamajig, Scott clan thingamajig, if they have a, yeah, see, Malcolm must didn't um, have, um, you know, nothing like jumping out per se. Uh, what I was trying to do is find a picture of him. I just want to see how they're depicting him. So hold on, I'm going to go to Britannica. So that's Malcolm the first. And let's see. Usually uh, they won't have a picture. Might have to go to Wikipedia. Um, let's see. Usually they don't. Oops. Uh, King of Scotland. Okay, they did. I looked up this time. Okay, so you see what they show you. Let me blow it up. See what they show you. This is the actual picture or, or some type of sketch of Malcolm I. And this is consistent with... Um, Look what he's holding in his hands. These are, you'll see this consistently. You will see this consistently. King James had the same thing in his hand. I forget what you call this uh, ball or whatever. Okay. And you see the leaves around his head and all of that. Tying back. Uh, to Roman Empire, all of that jazz, and it also has an esoteric meaning. Okay, so that's far different from this pic that they show you. All right, so let's just move on. So let's just do um, Indolf. Okay, this is actually a nice little pic of Indolf. The Christian converted Moorish black king, Indolf, the son of Constantine II, ruled Scotland from A.D. 954 to 962. He defeated the Danish king, Eric, okay, and uh, the Dane throne, the Danish throne of Europe was also melanated. I will, at the end of this particular podcast, I will put bonus material showing you that as well. 
He defeated the Danish king, Eric, but was later slain by the Vikings. Yes, the Vikings were melanated as well. You can check out the YouTube channel, um, Medicine Man. Shout out to Medicine Man. He goes over that. He provides the information on that. Was later slain by the Vikings and was succeeded by his third cousin, Kenneth the Niger. Duh. Okay. Endolf fathered three sons by which the elder, Cullen, was to eventually become king. Like his predecessors, Endolf's Negro Moorish blood continues to flow in the veins of today's British royal family, along with other extended European families. King Endolf was the great-great-grandson of Kenneth Alpine. Okay. All right, so I'm going to go to, okay, so they don't have adult in here either, but uh, I did skip over Constantine the first here, so let's just go back to Constantine the first and see what they have on Constantine. Okay. Uh, let's see. Constantine the first, a.k.a. Constantine MacAda was the son of Kenneth McAlpine and cousin of Donald I. Constantine's reign is the second longest before the unions of the crown in 1603, succeeded only by William the Lion. He was king of Alba from 863 to 877. Nothing is really known about his life until he succeeded his uncle to the throne after his uncle's death. Constantine's Reign was occupied with fighting to consolidate and expand upon the kingdoms, the kingdom of Scotland created when Kenneth I had brought together the crowns of the Scots and the Pitts to form the beginning what is known as Alba. To the south, he battled against the king of Strathclaude. This ended when he arranged the death of the king of Strathclaude in eighteen. I'm sorry, eight seventy two. He replaced him with his own brother-in-law, Rune, effectively made, making Strathclaude a subordinate king to Alba. In doing so, the kingdom of Alba grew. On other fronts, Constantine had constant conflicts with the Norsemen. Viking activity in northern Britain appears to have reached a peak during Constantine's reign in quick succession. In the mid-860s, Constantine defeated Norse forces led by Olaf the White, the Danish king of Dublin, and by Thorsten the Red. In the south, the Danish leader Halfdan devastated Northumberland and Galloway. Okay, so that's interesting. I will have to check more into Olaf the White. I only assume that maybe he was actually Caucasian, but Olaf the White, the Danish king of Dublin, we do know Dublin was black, and I do know the rulers of um were also black. So that's interesting. I'll have to check a little bit more on Olaf the White. All right. And by Thorsten the Red in the south, the Danish leader. Halfdan devastated uh, northern land and Galloway. In 875, the Chronicle and the Annuals of Ulster again report 
a Viking army in Picton, a battle near Dollar, was a heavy defeat for the Pitts. The annuals of the Ulster say that a great slaughter of the Pitts resulted. In 877, Vikings from Dublin and Yorkshire landed in Fife and established a base from which to raid much of the eastern side of Scotland. This happened shortly after building a new church for, for the Chaldees at St. Andrews. The Chaldees is an ascetic Christian community who had a chapter at Sinner Ramada <coughs> or Kilremont Monastery in St. Andrews and later served in the Church of St. Mary on the Rock. Constantine was captured and taken out after defending against Viking raiders. Although there is is agreement on the time and general manner of his death, it is not clear where this happened. Some believe he was beheaded on a Fife bench following battles at Fife Ness near Crail. William Forbes' Skeen reads the Chronicle as placing Constantine's death at Invertivat by Newport, which appears to match the prophecy of Berchan. The account in the Chronicle of Melrose names the places of the Black Cave, and John of Fordham calls it the Black Den. Constantine was buried on Iona. Okay, so I'm just going to um, blow that up. Okay. Okay. So I, I find it interesting that they call a chronicle of Mero's names the place as the Black Cave. Hmm. And then somebody else calls it the Black Dingian. Hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to, I mean, do that look, uh, do these particular cave, does it look black to you? Or was it Constantine himself in there being black, a.k.a. dub, a.k.a. melanated, okay? All right, so I just wanted to uh, give a little bit more insight on Constantine since they pointed it out here. Okay, so that's in Dolph. So we're going to stop here and we'll pick up next time on Kenneth the Niger Dope. Okay, we'll pick up here. So I want to thank you all so much in uh, joining us on this series. Uh, if you are not subscribed to us, I highly encourage you to subscribe, like, and share this video. Uh, if you are looking to send us content, uh, or information, again, you can send it a couple of ways. You can hit us up on Instagram under Truth Uncompromised. You can hit us up on Facebook, Truth Uncompromised, or you can send an email at truthuncompromised at gmail.com. So again, I want to thank everyone for their support. I wish everyone well on this Monday. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Peace and love, family.